You're listening to Redemption City Church. For more information, check us out at redemptioncitychurch.com. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. We're going to continue in our series through the book of Acts. And uh, this morning, this, I believe this is week five, we're going to speak about boldness, wildfire, and we're going to speak about boldness. And we say time and time again, just as a little minute or two of recap, we say this time and time again, a little bit of wildfire is better than no fire. And what we mean by that is that too often churches get caught up in this thing of, well, we're nervous about the move of the Spirit. We're nervous about the Holy Spirit breaking out. What if something weird happens? And we say time and time again, if something weird happens, we can open our Bibles and say that's weird. And so weirdness, we can explain away from Scripture. But what we cannot explain away from Scripture is a powerless church where nobody ever gets saved, nobody ever gets healed, nobody ever gets delivered, and God never shows up to rock our world. You can't find that church in Scripture, right? And so we want to move forward into that. We want everything that God has for us as we go forward. We cannot be so preoccupied with perfection that we lose out on the power and presence of God in our meetings and in our day-to-day lives. You're doing all right. We've said time and time again that we believe that God wants us to go beyond the book of Acts. I just look at that and I know this, that the Bible says Jesus is coming back for his bride, his perfect bride without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. There's a whole lot of symbolism in there, but basically what it means is Jesus is coming back for his perfect bride. And I want to say this, if the, book of, if the church in the book of Acts was that perfect bride, surely Jesus would have been back already and claimed his bride. So we have to take from that and be like, okay, there's got to be something more. And we don't want to go outside of that, you know. We, uh, people are always like, well, we, we, just, we just want to be out of the box. We want to be out of the box thinkers. The problem with that, sometimes we're so far out of the box, we're out of the Bible too. Right? And we want to be definitely in the Bible, in the Word of God, but we also want to claim everything that the Word of God says we should have. Are you, are you doing okay this morning? So here we go, wildfire, and we're going to speak about boldness. The opposite of boldness could be timidity, but it could also be procrastination. Could also just be procrastination. Oh, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it someday. It could also be apathy. I just don't care enough to do anything about it. Right? It could also be fear. What if it doesn't work? We tried it before, it didn't work. Go with me in your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 4. And uh, you can read that whole text. We're just going to have to just pull a few selected verses out of it for the sake of time. Acts chapter 4, Father, as we approach your word, would you lead us, would you guide us, would you stir us, would you revision us, refaith us, Lord, refocus us on what it is you have for us in your kingdom, Father, in Jesus' name. So verse 1, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And we said again and again, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes, and he says, if there's no resurrection, we've got no faith. Our faith is futile if there's no resurrection. And it amazes me how many times in the modern day church we preach resurrection on Easter Sunday, but actually it's such a foundational truth. It's almost every time these guys open their mouths, they reference back to the resurrection. It needs to be central again, not a once a year Easter message. The Bible goes on to say, 
many heard the message and believed, and the number of the men grew to about 5,000 in those days. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 8, and we're skipping down to verse 12, and here we go. It says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we might be saved. When they, when they're talking about the they, they're talking about these guys that we read about before, the captain of the God, the Sanhedrin, the rulers, the elders. It says, when they saw the courage, some translations boldness, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. And I want to say this, we can, we can misread that thing and go, well, it's about being unschooled and ordinary. It's not about that. You could put anything in there. You could say they were very educated. But what they took note of, what they marveled at, some translation, is that these men had been with Jesus. That should be the predominant. That should be the primary. The, the, the guy that, um, one of the first guys that, that led me, that was a real mentor to me, a real father to me, he was just one of those guys. Every time he got in the pulpit, every time you had a coffee with him, every time you had a dinner with him, you were aware that this guy had been in the presence of God. What an incredible testimony. But it should be all of our testimony, to be honest with you. It should be all of our testimony. Every time we're around somebody, people should be like, man, this God just oozes out of you. We can just see God all over you. You doing all right? So it's not about unschooled and ordinary. It's about us not being in the physical. It's about us representing our Heavenly Father and that being the predominant thing that people recognize about us. You doing okay? Boldness is not about yelling and screaming and dominating the conversation. It's not about always being able to convince everyone around you that your way is the right way. It's simply about knowing Jesus and knowing that you are known by Jesus. That's where our boldness and our courage is going to come from. It's about confidence in God. It's about knowing and understanding the redemptive story and the redemptive nature of God as worked out in and through Jesus and knowing and understanding that we have a part in that redemptive story. That's our boldness. That's our courage. It's about knowing that God will do what He said He would do even if it doesn't look like it in the moment. The Bible says in Romans 28 that God works for the good of those who know Him and trust Him. It's about knowing that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the author and perfecter, about knowing that He who started a good work in us will bring it to completion, and about understanding that He is the initiator and the completor of our faith. That's where our boldness and our confidence is going to come from. You know a little bit about our faith journey, where the doctors told us for many years we would never have children, on both our sides, physical stuff. And God was, and, but God had spoken to us. God had given us a word. Faith, the Bible tells us, is this. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And God gave me a word. Led me through this thing, Abraham and Isaac. Genesis 12, God speaks over Abraham, and he says, you will be the father of many nations. And Abraham's like, that's cool, let's start with one. Because Abraham and Sarah cannot have kids. She's barren. But God says this, you are going to be the father of many nations. In, in Genesis 17, by now it's been years, God reminds Abraham, Abraham laughs at God. He's like, that's a joke now. In Genesis 18, 
God shows up, reminds Abraham, and Sarah overhears it from the tent and laughs at God. And in Genesis 20, Abraham lies about Sarah. Says to Abimelech, this is my sister. And Abimelech takes Sarah as his wife. And because of that, God strikes the household of Abimelech barren. And then towards the end of that chapter, God says to Abraham, I want you to pray so that I will open the wombs again in Abimelech's household. And Abraham would have had every right to say, not even working for me, Lord. Why would I pray for somebody else to have babies when I can't have babies? Why would I do that? But faith is about hope and about being certain of what we do not see. And there's this phenomenon in the church. I don't know how it got into the church, but like if I've had an affair or I've had a divorce, suddenly I'm an expert on marriage because I've been through that. Or if I've struggled with mental health and found some kind of uh, healing or wholeness, suddenly I'm an expert on mental health. And I want to tell you, friends, if that's true, then Jesus has got nothing to say about finances, parenting, marriage. I'm not mad, right? I just, I just look like this. this is my, so I'm delighted. This is my happy face. I'm just I'm delighted to be here this morning. I'm just telling you, I'm not mad. So God says to Abraham, I want you to pray. And Abraham would have had every right to say, no, me, Lord, shall he find somebody else? Find anybody else, not me. But Abraham prays. God opens the wombs of Abimelech's household. And Genesis 21 starts with Sarah was with child and gave birth to a son. Come on. Not about what I see around me. Not about my experience. That's back to Acts 13. Unschooled and ordinary. But what was important about them was that they had been in the presence of Jesus. Come on now. To pray for people that were struggling with children. That's what God said to us. While we were struggling, God overview of that story and God said that's what I want you to do I want you to pray for people while we weren't having kids and everywhere we went all over the world all over the world every time we preached publicly I would say is there anybody here that's struggling to have children this morning we want to pray for you letters faxes postcards I'm not I'm not boasting God did it letters faxes postcards from all over the world you prayed for us at this conference you prayed for us in this church Here's a photo of our baby. Because faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Boldness and confidence, faith in God, allows us to be generous with our finances and our affections. Mark Twain says this. says, a cat that has sat on a hot stove will never sit on a hot stove again. He says, but neither will he sit on a cold stove. That's brilliant because sometimes that's what happens to us in our faith. We reach out, we try, we give our affection away and we get hurt and we get bruised and we go, I'm never doing that again. But faith allows us, boldness, courage in God, allows us to reach out again and again and again. Allows us to be generous with our finances and our affection. Gracious because we know that our faith is in Jesus, not in a human physical person. Allows us to reach out with the love of God. Stretches us relationally and builds us up in our faith. Let's go to 1 Samuel 17. Let's receive this morning. Let's receive. God's doing something amongst some of you now, right now. 
We don't have to wait for afterwards. We don't have to wait till we lift our hands and pray and the musicians come back up. We don't have to wait for any of that stuff. We can just receive just where we are right now. Just allow God to speak to you this morning and open your hearts, stretch your boldness. We know the story, 1 Samuel 17, the story of David and Goliath. And I've heard it preached many times. We're going to take our stones and we're going to slay our giant. And we're going to do this and we're going to do that and we're going to do that. And I want to tell you, friend, that is in complete error. It's complete counter truth to the truth of that scripture. Missed the point completely. I hate to disappoint you, but you are not David in that story. Listen carefully now. If you're going to write anything down this morning, write this down. Anytime, anytime you read the Bible and you are the hero of the story, you are reading it wrong. (laughs) Because Jesus is always the hero of the story. We've said that time and time again. There's a redemptive lens that we need to approach the Scripture with. And when I read the Bible and I'm like, yes, that's me. I'm going to take on my giant. We've read it wrong. We know this, that David is a type of Christ. He's a foreshadow of Jesus. He's somebody that we can look at and go, I see David, and through David I get a little bit better picture of Jesus. And that gives us a whole different picture on that, on that text, right? So we see this, verse 18. And this is exactly what the enemy wants to do to us. The enemy wants to drag us into the physical. And so Goliath stands up there and he goes, am I not a man? And are you not servants of Saul? A man! But David comes and he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine to challenge the armies of the Lord? And so where the enemy wants to make this a physical fight, David is pointing to a spiritual fight. And the enemy keeps wanting to drag us into this physical fight. And every time we get dragged into a physical fight with the enemy, we get our butts whooped. Is that all right? Family show? Is it okay to say that? Too late now, I guess I said it. Verse 18, he says, Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man. Choose a man. Listen, this wasn't that unusual in those days, right? That's what they would do. Armies would get together and they would be like, Okay, we're going to send our champion, you send your champion, and maybe that saves some lives because the guy that if under that agreement, this guy gets killed, that army submits. So we lose one guy instead of 10,000 guys. It wasn't an unusual occurrence. But what happened next is an unusual occurrence. So the giant says, oh, you're not servants of Saul, a man. Choose a man to come and fight me. And Saul is in the flesh too. Because Saul starts to offer a greater and greater reward for the guy that will defeat Goliath. You can have my daughter's hand in marriage. You can have this. You can have that. And, by the way, you can live tax-free for the rest of your life. It's in the Bible. In our day, I'm sure if they would have been like, well, just keep your daughter. Just help me live tax-free. That'll be a huge benefit of me. <laughs> Different deal in our day. But David keeps turning it back to the Lord and back to the Lord and back to the Lord. Verse 26, he says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the Lord? Verse 41, meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him. Now listen, a little bit all over the place this morning. But the Bible said this, that this guy, Goliath, comes from Gath. 
Now, Gath, later on, we know, is a place where there's a lot of giants. It's a, it's a nation that is like this. And the Bible has told us that this guy is, tw- is nine feet tall. And so when he comes out to fight David, he comes out with his shield bearer, who chances are, is also about nine feet tall. So now you've got David that the Bible says is a young boy. A young boy. He's too young to actually be in the army. He's too young to be in the military, which makes us guess that he's probably between 11 and 14 years old. So this 11 to 14-year-old kid is going to come out here and he's going to fight two nine-feet giants. I mean, there's something about to happen here. God is overstating the story, overstating the truth so that we can learn something from it. Are you doing okay? With his shield bearing in front of him, he kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome. I'll take that. And he despised him. And he said to David, am I a dog that you come out to me with a stick? And David's probably thinking, pretty much. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. You come against me with physical weapons. A sword, a spear, and a javelin. You come against me with physical weapons. He says, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. The God of the armies of Israel whom you have defiled. And so the enemy wants to make it personal. And David just keeps pointing to Jesus, pointing to Jesus. You doing Okay. Skip down to verse 47 for the sake of time. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear. It's not in the physical. It's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. Philistine moved closer. Verse 50. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling in the stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him, took hold of the Philistine's sword, drew it out of his sheath, and killed him and cut off his head. That's a happy ending to that story right there. So I want to tell you this, friends. Every challenge we face, every challenge we face is symbolized by Goliath. Every challenge. It can be a challenge in our family. It can be a challenge in our marriage. It can be a challenge of physical health. It can be a challenge at work. It can be a challenge of addiction or depression, anxiety, challenge of mental health. Every challenge that we face, we can see that challenge in Goliath. And he stands there and he mocks us. And he's like, come at me, bro. (laughs) But the, the giant wants to make it physical. And every challenge, they want to make it physical. I had a buddy of mine, one of my best mates, 35 years old, four kids, he just had his little boy that he'd waited for, three girls, and then had a little boy. Got a headache on Friday. Went into the emergency room on Sunday. On Monday, they said he had leukemia. By Tuesday, he was brain dead, and on Wednesday, they switched off the machines. 35 years old. And I was there. I was there probably 22 hours a day for the three days that he was in the hospital. His wife asked me to go in and be with him. When they switched off the machine, she said, I can't do it. You need to be with him. When they switched, I don't want him, to, I don't want him on his own. So I went in, I was in there when they switched off the machines. Devastating. 
And the days after that, the voice of the enemy came to me and said, you should have prayed more. I know my mom pretty much prayed 22 hours a day. How much more? And the enemy said, no, I'm not talking about those three days in the hospital. I'm talking about the last 10 years. You should have prayed more. Can you see the giant just wanting to drag me into the flesh? It's because you didn't fight. It's because you didn't pray. Your physical effort was lacking. And the enemy mocks us. You should have tried harder. You should have done this. You could have done this. You should have said that or should not have said that. And the giant mocks us and mocks us and mocks us. It doesn't matter whether it's in our business, in our family, in our marriage, in our mental health, whatever it is. The giant is saying, come out and fight me in the flesh. And every time we do, we get our butts whooped. We skipped over this part where David puts on Saul's armor. What is Saul's armor? Physical. I'm just going to put on more bravado. I'm just going to shout louder. I'm just going to look bigger. And I'm telling you, if he had gone out in Saul's armor, I'm convinced that story might have ended differently. Because he could barely walk in this stuff. How is he going to get in a fist fight? We are not David. David in that story is Jesus. And it's in Jesus. Our boldness, our confidence, our faith in Jesus. And when that giant comes and that giant wants to mock us physically, we can point to Jesus and say David's words. This battle is the Lord's. This battle is the Lord. This battle with depression, anxiety, addiction. It's the Lord's. This battle with whatever it is that you're facing. This battle is the Lord's. And the Bible tells us Jesus marches out like a mighty warrior. That's how my faith and my confidence, my faith and confidence is in Jesus, not in my own ability, how much I can pray, how much I can fast, how much I can do anything. Well, I'm just going to lead through this. I'm just going to clench my jaw. I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to make this happen. You are about to get whooped. Jesus defeats the undefeatable enemy. That's what's symbolic there when, when David cuts off his head. The last enemy, death. Jesus defeats the last enemy. This final enemy that had stood and had reigned over men for thousands of years until the cross and the resurrection where Jesus defeats the undefeatable enemy. And death is no more. Death, where is your sting? Because Jesus has won the victory. Now let me tell you something, friends. That's where we need to put our fight. Every time, no matter what the fight is, we need to put our fight in Jesus. Psalm 23 says this, The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And I've said this before. When David writes that, he writes that with a voice of triumph. The Lord. It's like we won the shepherd lottery. The Lord is my shepherd. It's a cry of victory. The Lord is my shepherd. Because David knows this, that the quality of the flock is determined by the quality of the shepherd. Who is it? Listen, when the lion and the bear show up, who is it that fights the lion and the bear? The sheep? It's the shepherd that steps up to the lion and the bear. It's the shepherd that steps up and says, this is my fight. You ain't touching my sheep. It's the shepherd. The Bible tells us in Psalm 100, it says, we are his. We are his. We are the people of his pasture. We are safe 
in that place when we put our faith and our eyes on the shepherd and we say, this is it. This is who is going to fight my battles for me, not me. This is who is going to fight my battles for me. What is your Goliath this morning? Is it family? Is it marriage? Is it an unsaved family member that you trust in God for? That seems impossible. Is it some kind of breakthrough, physical breakthrough in your life? Physical healing? Is it mental health or addiction or anxiety? What is your Goliath this morning? Let's stand together. Just close your eyes this morning, friends. Just receive from the Lord. Just receive from the Lord. You know God's spoken to you this morning about putting your eyes back on Jesus, not facing your Goliath in your own strength. Why don't you just lift your hands with me this morning? Just lift your hands. I'm going to pray for you in just a minute. Just lift your hands. Father, we want to silence the mockery of that enemy, Lord silence the mockery of that giant not in our own strength father not in our own strength by pointing to Jesus and by saying Jesus we know the battle is yours we know the battle is yours we know that you fight on our behalf we know that you have defeated the undefeatable enemy we know that this giant that mocks us Lord is subject to you and subject to what you desire to do in our lives, Father. We say, Father, with courage and boldness, understanding faith is about what we hope for and being certain of what we do not see. We say, by faith, the battle this morning is the Lord's. The battle this morning is yours, Lord Jesus. Slay that giant, Jesus, we pray. Slay that giant, we pray, for him never to come back and mock us again. Father, in Jesus' name, Father, in Jesus' name, we point to you this morning. We look to you this morning, and we simply say, Father, the battle is yours.